Hey there, and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we are talking about the default parent role. Now, how do you know if you're the default parent? (laughs) I guess if you're tuning in, you probably already have a sense because you live this day in and day out. You are the one who knows all the things for all the people. You got a million tabs open in your brain. You're the one that's tracking the doctor's appointments, the social schedules. You're keeping track of the groceries and who's eating what, when, and where people need to be. And you're doing all the things. And you are also the one that when the kids need something, they go to. When you leave the house, you don't just leave, but you kind of need to prep people before you go. Now, the default parent role can look like so many different things for so many different families. But in today's episode, we're unpacking what this is, why it's going on, and how we can begin to shift things, to share the responsibilities of caring for a home and caring for our children. Because one thing that we do know is that when you are carrying the load, this heavy, heavy load, This can absolutely be a risk factor for things like being overwhelmed, overstimulated, anxiety, depression, partner relationship issues, and rage. In today's episode, I invited Libby Ward onto the podcast. You may know her as Diary of an Honest Mom on TikTok and Instagram. She's a digital creator, a speaker, and a mental health advocate with a deep commitment to breaking the cycles of trauma. As a mental health advocate, she challenges the long-held social norm that women should put themselves last because she knows from experience that it's the only way to break the cycle of burnout that's so prevalent among modern-day moms and how we begin to shift the narrative around motherhood. This is exactly what we dive into in today's podcast episode. You're going to leave knowing exactly what steps to take next to do the deeper work around breaking the cycle of burnout and rage and being the one carrying all the things for everyone around you. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get to it. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Libby. Thank you so much for taking the time in your busy schedule of doing all the things to sit down and chat with me today. I'm so excited to get off of Instagram and see your face and chat with you today. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for having me. I love podcasting and love how we can go into all the nuance of conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for today. So Libby, I am really, really hoping today to talk to you about ideas related to being the default parent, to these ideas around quote unquote mom rage and your thoughts on that and how being a default parent and, you know, all the sensory stuff and overstimulation that comes with being a parent can relate to our mental health as mothers. And before we get to all that, though, I'd love for the listener to get a chance to get to know you a little bit. And so if you could just introduce yourself, um, who you are, what lights you up, what you're passionate about, and yeah, would love folks to get a chance to get to know you. Okay. Thank you. So I am Libby Ward. I'm known as Diary of an Honest Mom on TikTok and Instagram. I'm a mental health advocate and public speaker, and I talk a lot about the honest truths about motherhood, mental health, and trauma, and how all of those three things really intersect. So that is everything from overstimulation to ADHD and depression to the mental load to society's expectations of what motherhood should look like and the load that we carry. So it's so multifaceted and I just love touching on all those different topics because I feel like oftentimes things can be put into different categories and it's like, actually it's like a big tangled web. And so I love sort of pulling that apart and looking at all the different pieces. I'm a mom of two, they're six and eight, although in my mind, they'll always be two and four. (laughs) I like I'm like in my mind you're still babies but you're not babies. Um I live in like small town Canada. I live in a little town of like 10,000 people I'm married to a police officer. So he does shift work and that continental night day shift definitely takes a toll on family life and marriage and parenting and brings a whole other aspect to it. I I parent without much of a support system. My parents well my dad isn't around anymore and I, I'm not close with my mother. And so I talk a lot of my channels about parenting without support as well. So yeah, that's me. And it's, you know, it's interesting and we're riding the roller coaster and I talk about it all. I really appreciate how on your channels, on your platforms, the way that you speak about the, the integration and the connection between all these things, how our childhood experiences can, parenting can be a way of absolutely triggering some of those things and past traumas. I mean, we can hold it at bay, right? Like I'm always so surprised by and amazed by um, a human's ability to like just keep things compartmentalized and held at bay for a while. And then the reason, one of the reasons I love working with parents is it's just like, <laughs> just like, rips us apart in so many ways. And then all our pieces are on the floor. And then there's this opportunity to begin to look at these different parts of ourselves and these pieces and process past experiences and, you know, pull these pieces back together in a way that feels really intentional and aligned. Um, And I, I love the way that you really talk about the ways that these all, all coexist. Right. And so, and they don't, they don't just operate in these, little compartments, right? Trauma and our own mental health and parenting and societal expectations and partner relationships and the roles and expectations, all, all the stuff. So I'd love to start us off today by talking a little bit about how 
your how you understand from your own experience how past impacts present um, when it comes to past traumas, um, but also just looking at you know how our own family history and what's been what was sort of role modeled to us, right? Societal expectations, how that all that all that old stuff kind of finds its way into our present day lived experiences. What's been your experience of that and how do you make sense of it all? Yeah. So when I became an adult after grow up, growing up in a really, I would say, tumultuous home life, very volatile. We moved around a lot. There was a lot of chaos and feelings right at the surface, things like that. I decided when I became an adult, I would leave that in the past. And it was fairly easy for me to do that. Like my husband and I really agreed, like, we're not going to be a yelling family. We don't yell at each other. We talk about things reasonably. You know, I didn't dwell on my past very much. I just wanted to move on with my life. And I was pretty good at that. And then it wasn't until I became a parent that all of that became undone. And like you said, it was like all the pieces were on the floor. And even though I didn't have intentions of parenting in a certain way or reacting in certain ways, or doing certain things, it was like all of a sudden my like go-to responses and my like natural reaction to things were the things that I saw growing up. And I wasn't intentionally choosing to yell or intentionally choosing to get angry about loud noises, but those were my physiological reactions that I couldn't control. And that was really hard for me. It was like this cognitive dissonance of like knowing that I didn't want to parent and be someone who had rage, or I didn't want to yell at my children, or I didn't want to blame them for things that impacted my feelings, or like say off the cuff things that were said to me when I was young. I actually purposefully didn't want to, but that didn't mean that it was easy. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a, a real struggle. And I've had to do a lot of healing around figuring out how I want to parent my kids, and not just deciding to do it, but figuring out like, but what does that actually look like when I want to yell? <laughs> yes. No, in the moment, right? And there can be such a shame cycle that happens around that because now also we have access to social media and lots of lots of parenting stuff, you know, and it's, it's great because we have all these resources now, but because of all this access, it's like, okay, like I, I want to do these things and I have like resources and I know what I want to say. And like that script of what I was going to do in that moment. And then in that moment, right. When your child triggers you, when, when you feel triggered and it's like all of that, like that awareness is still there, but it's almost like you said, like it's out of body experience, but you just find yourself reacting in a way that is totally not aligned. And then there can be that whisper of shame of like, what is wrong with you? Like you, that, that shame spiral of what's wrong with you, which can also then lead to if something's wrong with me, like I can't let anyone see that. And so actually not asking for support or not letting anyone into that, which just furthers that shame because shame just loves isolation. It can really fester in that space. It's, yeah. it'd be a really vicious cycle. And so, yeah, I guess what, what, what has, what has supported you in unhooking yourself from that cycle to actually get support? And I really, I really think I really want to hear from you specifically because of the, of not having the, 
the support that we might think of, right? When we talk, when we use the word support, like family members around to come in and help us, right? So if that's not, if that's not around us, or if those aren't the people that we can really rely on and turn to, how do we begin to unhook ourselves from that shame spiral that can be so isolating and actually requires like, or, or the antidote tends to be like connection and support. Gosh, how do we do that? There's so many pieces to that. So many pieces that we could pull apart. Um, for me, I had to really get to a point where I was aware of my situation, which sounds very hoity-toity. But when we talk about comparison, often we talk about, well, what does that person have that I don't have and things like that. But the reality is, if we don't look at our own situation and say, what supports do I have? What capacity I have? We can't then set expectations. So if we work backwards, right, let's say we take a scenario where I am just like losing it on my kids, where I was at a place where I was just like triggered so easily, I had to decide what I could get rid of in my life, what expectations I could say, you know what, this is a season of life where I cannot cook dinner every night because while I'm cooking dinner and I have two kids talking to me and a husband Mm -hmm. coming in the door and phone Mm -hmm. calls happening and whatever, the expectation is, you know what, we're eating frozen food until I have more capacity. You know, if I don't have a parent around the corner to come by, that means that I'm not going to pressure myself to make sure that I put my kids in extracurricular activities. You know, there's all these different things that, you know, people say lower your expectations, but those expectations should be different for everyone. So when I think about myself and the changes I've had to make, I've had to look at my specific situation and be aware of what supports I had, what finances I had, who was in my life, the types of kids I was parenting, the type of capacity I had, and then said, you know what, what do I, what values do I have the capacity to execute on? And what ones don't I, because something's got to give, otherwise I'm going to start losing it on people and then nobody wins. You are, you're speaking my love language, Libby, here <laughs> in so many ways. Okay. So what I'm hearing in that is taking a pause, right? Because that that comparison stuff, like we're wired as humans to compare and like we, there's no shortage of opportunities to compare like for our generation with what we have access to now. And it's, it's typically comparing like our, like our expectations of ourselves to the highlighted curated reel of somebody else's life that we see. And oh my gosh, just like what a recipe for, for that shame to just take over. So what I'm hearing is like taking that pause and like turning back into like, okay, what is like, what is my reality right now? And what you can insert in that space is compassion, right? For your situation and contextualizing like where you are right here, right now. And then connecting in with the values and the things that are really important to you that you want to prioritize And I think with that context, also, we can bring in the piece, which I know you talk a lot about, of the societal expectation, right? Like, I'm not just comparing myself to people I see on on Instagram, but I'm, like, living and breathing the societal discourses of what it means to be a good mom, what it means to – what a good mom does and what she prioritizes and how she shows up in her home and the the kind of dinners that she's serving and how she talks to her kids – and that the the un, that those expectations are what's 
like slowly killing us, I think. Um, and, and they're based on other people's values and not your own. You know, when I first became a mom, I was surrounded by people in very traditional conservative households where the mom was at home, either homeschooling or not homeschooling, but she was a stay-at-home mom and dad went out and, you know, earned money. And the women who I knew who were mothers, they loved being mothers and they loved being at home and they loved cooking organic from scratch and baby wearing and not really doing a whole lot for themselves. And they really didn't seem bothered by it. And so when I looked at them, I was like, oh, well, that's, that's what being a good mom was. I didn't even take a second to be like, what do I want? What other options are there? What feels good for me? I was just like, oh, oh my goodness. Like I should be reading every label. Like I could be killing my baby if I don't like follow all these things to a T. And I was looking at them and what their lives look like on the outside and their value system and trying to execute on their value system. And it wasn't until I stepped back and I was like, wait a second, like I don't want to be a stay at home mom. Like I Mm -hmm. like going out to work. Wait a second. Mm -hmm. Like I don't actually care about eating everything organic. Like I want to be healthy, but not to the standard they do. So why am I spending my energy and my capacity trying to do things that are valuable to them instead of asking myself? And this is where self-worth comes in. When we value ourselves, that allows us to take the time and be like, what do I actually want? What does our family actually value? And let's just ignore what's valuable them and also what support systems they had when I look at you know these women for example that I was comparing myself to they lived in these family units where both sets of grandparents were within 20 minutes and they had aunts and uncles and cousins and they all lived in this like sense of like community and I was like not only am I trying to execute on their values but like they have a different capacity because they have a different support network so I can't I literally can't do what they're doing and all I'm doing is entering into a shame cycle by trying to do things that number one, I don't even really want to do. And number two, I feel like I'm failing at, but why? And the stress and the impact that that stress has on our bodies. I mean, we could, we could have a whole, whole lengthy conversation around that, but I'll just say for the listener, I'm reading this, I'm reading the book burnout right now by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Have you read it? So it's so good. I'm going to put a link in the, in the show notes, like, because we can only go so far here. Like that's the book that's going to talk about like unlocking the stress cycle, the idea of completing the stress cycle, the the impact of stress, the reason why women are like burning out and what burnout means and all, all the things I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes for that because the impact that it's having at so many levels on us, everything we're, we're naming here is, is, in, is insane, right? Um, and so in terms of this idea of support, um, you know, I know that something that you talk, you talk a lot about is this idea of being like the default parent in your partner relationship. And so when I think about support and you don't have, you know, a ton of family, you know, around like jumping up and helping or supporting in the way that, that you're needing. Um, if you are in a partner relationship, that that is absolutely one one place that we can turn to for support and optimize the support, right, for our family and what that looks like. Um, so I'd love to kind of understand a little bit more around this idea of being the default parent, because I think it's definitely connected to those expectations and pressures and roles 
and what's been modeled to us in our own history um, that can translate into just becoming, taking on this default parent role. I'd love to understand more about, about that piece. Right. So being the default parent for anyone who doesn't know is essentially being in that role where you are the one that knows where the spare sugar is. You're the one that knows where the health cards are and where the insurance forms are. You're the one that fills out the forms. You're the one that pays the bills. You're the ones that the kids come to because they know that you're going to have the answers. You're the one that's remembering. And I say this all the time, remembering all the things for all the people all the time who needs to be where and when and for what. And it's carrying that, that mental load. It's being the one to know what needs to be packed in the diaper bag, to be the one who knows what you need to bring with you on a day trip, who's trying to keep track of what everybody needs, what types of food the baby's able to eat now and doesn't eat and who likes what and managing all of that while you're trying to decide what to cook for dinner while three people are talking to you at once, you know? So being the default parent is the default. You're the one that is like the first person that the people in your house come to when they have a question about something or when something needs to be decided. And it involves a lot of mental work, physical work, just work in general. And it's it's invisible, right? Like this invisible invisible. load. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, when we talk about the default parent, you know, on social media, particularly, it can be easy, like we were saying earlier, to put it into a box and almost just to see it as a negative. And you're only a default parent if you have a partner that, you know, is useless, or you're only a default parent if you have a partner that doesn't care about you, things like that. That's not always true. Exactly. You know, like you, you can be the default parent because you're the one that's at home with the kids. You can be the default parent because you work from home and your partner works away from home. You can be the default parent simply by the fact that you had a one year maternity leave and your partner didn't. And now the kids just, you know them better and they know you better and you know the routines and it's easier for you just to do it than for you to explain it to your partner. You know, you can be the default parent if your partner works in the military. My partner is a police officer. So it's not about saying, oh, well, this person does more and shame on the person that's not the default parent, but it's acknowledging that it's number one, it is work. And number two, that it's hard work. When we think about organizations and workplaces, who gets paid more, the manager or the person who's just executing the tasks? The manager does because it takes so much work to manage all the moving pieces and know what needs to be done when. So that's what the default parent is. And in terms of managing it, it's, again, a part of your awareness, you know, become aware of, you know, Number one, am I the default parent simply because I am home more with the kids and I know the routine or am I the default parent because I feel like everything should be my responsibility and I have a hard time letting go of control and my husband does it wrong anywhere. So it's just easier to do it myself. Uh, (laughs) So like, and so the answer is different for everyone. Right. And so if you all of a sudden go, Oh, like I actually could let go of control of that, but I don't know how great. That's an awareness that you can then talk to your partner about, you know, if it's something where they're gone all the time and you're like, you know what, I have to carry all this. There's no one to give it to because he's not here. Then that's where you go. Okay. What can we take off my plate? So it's like, do we take it off my plate and give it to someone else? Or do we take it off the plate and throw it in the garbage until we have more capacity? Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for the permission of that piece too there. And I think a piece here too is like, if you are the default parent, because you are the one who spends the most time with the children and that's the necessity, then when partner does 
re-engage in the family system, right? Like on the weekends or, or when they're when they're back home. How do the two of you navigate that, right? When now they are present, right? So how what what are some ways in which we can make those transitions and share the load? I always I love I love the idea of say this like I, metaphor of like all the balls you have in the air, right? So like there's there's the balls that are that you can drop, right? Like it's plastic. It'll bounce back, right? Like maybe, you know, I, maybe cooking organic meals is something that like, you're like, I would, I would like to do that right now. That, that is not the priority. We do not have the capacity for it. And there are other things that when I really look at my values, what I want to prioritize in this season of my life, I'm going to um, make, you know, are more important. That's a plastic ball that I could drop. There are some balls that are glass that we don't want to drop the ball on. But if we've got um, a ton of glass balls in the air, right, and at some point something's going to drop or they are dropping or we are, you know, just feeling the, the heaviness of that, who can I pass these these glass balls to, right? Um, and there are going to be times when I'm just, I am carrying a lot. And then there's times when that I have support that comes in and navigating how do I pass this ball to this person where I can really give it to them, right? And not necessarily control everything about it um, because sometimes my anxiety uh, wants, jumps in the driver's seat and wants to, to lead to that. Um, but also, right, like how, how can we do this together where they feel, you know, like they have some empowerment and agency in this too, um, but they're not just, you know, not, not supporting us because, you know, it's not, it's, you know, maybe not their idea of what their role should be. There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in that. There, yeah, there is, there's so much to unpack, but it's also, you know, if they've seen you juggling all these balls and they're not used to juggling any of them, you know, it would also be daunting for them to be like, I'm just going to join you underneath this, like all these balls in the air. And if you just envision them just grabbing one and messing up all the ones that are moving, it can screw everything else up. And so it becomes scary. I think sometimes for partners to be like, where do I step in? What do I do? And then it creates this thing of like, well, I'll only do what you tell me to do, which then is frustrating because you're like, just do it. Like, I don't want to have to say what to do. Um, and it's so I don't want the load of having to do that too, right? It's, like yeah, It's work having to keep track of it. So there's a book that I recommend to everybody when I talk about these things. And you're probably going to know what I'm going to say. I think I do, but go. <laughs> yeah. Fair, so it's called Fair Play. And it's by Fair Ian Hodge. Fair Play. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, it's so good because she really just pulls apart what is the mental load and what is, you know, the conception of a task versus the execution of a task and what are our different roles. And she talks about like different dynamics of, you know, stay at home parents or two working parents and all these different things. And she gives a real practical and respectful. And I think that's important because I think a lot of men can feel attacked when we bring up sharing the world equally. And she does a really good job of respectfully saying, this is everything it takes to keep a household running. It is a lot. It's a lot of work. It's valuable work. Time is not a renewable resource. This is important. And how can you take, you can buy literal cards that have the tasks on them and divide them in a way that mm. is more fair. And it's not about taking the stack of cards and splitting it in half and say, you have half and you have half, even though you have completely different roles outside the house. It's about saying, how can we share these different tasks that involve 
running the house in a way that allows us both to have time to ourselves, both to have leisure time. And the really cool thing I like about her concept is like, let's say, let's take grocery shopping, you know, for example, the person who holds a card for grocery shopping doesn't just go to the grocery store. They are in charge of knowing what's in the fridge, knowing what's in the cupboards, knowing what's going to be needed to cook this week, knowing what snacks everybody likes, knowing who's allergic to what, making the list, going to the store, all those things. So if you hold that card, you're in charge of all of those tasks. And that means if you're not in charge of that card, you literally never have to think about it. And as women, for the most part, like, wouldn't that like the thought of like never having to think about it seems like a dream. And that's because it's so much work. So I think in terms of, this is a long answer to your question, in terms of like, how do they re-engage? It's like, you can have discussions around like, what balls can you take away? And can you take those? I don't know why I'm laughing because I'm saying what balls can you take away? But (laughs) (laughs) the balls in the air, like which ones can you take? And it's like, you are in charge of it from the moment it's thrown in the air to the moment it lands back in your hand. You're not just in charge of catching it. You're not just in charge of like the one part of it. You're in charge of all of it so that the person who's not in charge of it doesn't have to think about it. So decide what balls you want to keep in the air and then decide of those, which ones can other people take so that you don't have to remind them. You don't have to make a list. You don't have to say, this is your job. They know it's their job. Just like when you go to, when he goes to work, let's say you have a husband, you don't have to say, remember, you have to go to work today. Remember to do all this because it's their responsibility. They're in charge of remembering. And it's the same with those household tasks. what sometimes clients will, will, will share like in response to that is like, they're like, yeah. And then like, we, we tried that and then they screwed up, right? Like the kid went to school without lunch or without a water bottle, or like they went to school without shoes on, or, you know, like they, it was, it was, you know, crazy hair day at school and they went to school without crazy hair. And because I, they're in charge of the emails and keeping track of those things, and the kid was super disappointed. And I think the, the important piece to that is that if something is yours and you feel the discomfort of like dropping the ball on something, your brain, your body are going to remember that, learn from that, adjust, right? Like if I, if, but if someone jumps in, comes in and says like, okay, you screwed up, like you don't do enough, like I'm just going to take this over. There's no opportunity there to like yeah. actually figure, like we, we need the discomfort of screwing up. Just like when I was, you know, learning how to soothe, a, you know, my baby, my colicky baby. And like, I started to figure out like at the certain telltale signs of like, when it was time to burp or like the kind of holds the baby really liked or like the different, just the little nuances, right? It was through trial and error. It was through like figuring, figuring those things out with the discomfort that comes with figuring something out, right? Like something's got to be awkward for us to like wire something new, you know, like that's literally how our brain begins to rewire things and like figure things out and and learn. And so we got to give our partners the chance to do that and like it's going to there's going to be a learning curve right when I think about for example maternity leave 
right? And how we become mothers and we are the ones who are at home for all of it. And so it's like trial by fire and it's hard, but we learn pretty quickly, like you said, how they want to be held, what needs to be done, when it needs to be done. And without having to think about all those things, they become natural because you're doing it all the time. And then what happens is when your partner's not there, it becomes so easy for them to disengage because you think of like, let's say they're home, you know, three to five hours in the evening versus all the hours you're home. How many of those hours are they engaged? And it's going to take longer for them to learn. And then if we don't allow them to learn, then it takes even longer. And then it becomes even easier to be like, I'll just do it myself. And it just perpetuates this whole, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm in control. And them feeling like they don't know what they're doing and they don't want to be involved and they always do it wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes a part of, you know, that awareness, acknowledging that that is the dynamic and it is harder for them to learn when they have less time and allowing them to make mistakes because like you said, we're making mistakes as we're figuring it out, but I don't think we always have those eyes watching us like, oh, you're not doing it like I did it. Oh, you're not doing it how I like. You're not doing it to my standard. We're just having to figure it out, figure it out. And then all of a sudden we know how to do it. So mm-hmm. I think it's really approaching it with a little bit of grace. Um, you know, not not so much so that they're just sending the kids to school and in their underwear and nothing else for like every day and never having standards, but you know, maybe having grace to like, do I need to comment on how they load the dishwasher? Is it necessary in this moment? Do I need to give them a, a medal and throw a parade because they loaded it? No. But do I need to say that plate's facing the wrong way? And is me saying that gonna affect how much they wanted to do it again in the future? Yeah, yeah. So I know that one of my telltale signals that I have a bunch of glass balls in the air that I'm like feeling completely overstimulated and overwhelmed and stressed out by is um, I get super irritable. I get ragey. I show up as, as a version of myself that I can, I can feel a lot of shame around. It can get really ugly, really messy behind closed doors as I know it can for so many others. And I think knowing that is important because I can feel less alone in those feelings, which is why I can talk about it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. That's how I, that's my antidote to that, that shame spiral. But when we talk about this, there it's become a really just sort of like, you know, buzzword mom rage. And Mm -hmm. what I've really appreciated about your work around the experience of rage is really unpacking why do we got to call it mom rage, right? And what are the, um, why, why, why does that, why, why does, why does that, well, let me just ask this way. Why does that bug you? <laughs> like, what would you say about this, this idea of the buzzword mom rage showing up everywhere and really tying rage to, to moms? It bugs me because it perpetuates the idea that the reason we're frustrated is because of some internal character flaw. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that it's not, you know, sometimes it's mental health. Sometimes it's that we have something going on inside of us, but really a lot of the times it's society's expectations coupled with our own expectations, coupled with the mental load, coupled with our trauma, coupled with our partner relationship. There's all these things playing into what makes life stressful for mothers. And there's a lot that 
our workplaces can do and our healthcare system can do and our partners can do and what society's expectations can do that would make life less stressful for mothers and it would make it less overstimulating and less overwhelming. But instead, all of those things stay status quo. And we say, if you're snapping at your kids, if you're resentful towards your partner, if you're angry, if you're frustrated, well, you must have mom rage. Mm. Like, you know mm. what? Maybe I am angry, but maybe there's valid reason. And the only way things are going to change is if I open my mouth and talk about it, because that's the only way things do change. 100%. 100%. I love anger. The reason I love anger is that is an emotion we are all wired for. And my anger part can show up sometimes as a protector when I'm actually feeling vulnerable and it does, I don't want to feel vulnerable. So it just shows up as anger, right? But like my anger regardless, is showing up and offering me such important data about what's happening around me. And if I can pause and look at my rage or my anger as a data messenger of like, I'm, I'm caring too much. I'm not getting enough support. I have needs that are going unmet. I, if I can, if I can look at anger and be like, thank you, anger for giving me that data about what's happening around me rather than Oh, I have, I have, I have mom rage and it being this like, and I don't think every, when people talk about it, they, they intend it this way, but sometimes how we can experience it is like, okay, here's just, here's a name for something that's wrong with me. Right. Versus yeah, wrong with you. Right. Versus here is a, a rage is anger amplified. Here's a feeling that I am wired for as a human being that is offering me data about the things going around, going on around me that feel like a violation of like my human rights, right? Um, and can give us the oomph to set a boundary, to fight for our rights, right? I mean, there's, I think that we want to stay in the driver's seat and have our values be our guide for how we do that. But anger is coming along in the back seat, And I want it to, because it's giving me data about the things happening around me that are, that feel unjust, right? Um, or that I want to protect myself from. Right, right. And the whole term mom rage, I feel like is society's expectations that mom has another thing to fix. She not only has to carry the load of everything else she's carrying that's making her angry in the first place, but on top of that, she now has to fix herself. She has to read another self-help book. She has to do more self-care. She has to write another list for someone else to take. She's got to, she's got to do deep breathing work, which has a lot of value, but you know, like, it's like almost like this whole idea of like, if you have mom rage, then you have work to do to fix your anger problems. And it's like, mm, maybe if I have mom rage, I need to look at why I have mom rage, like you said. And I need to look at that data and decide what to do with it. And maybe it's speaking out about it. Yeah. Cause maybe these systems around us need to right. market explicit. Oh, like, can I, oh, I just won't say it, but you know what I was about to say. <laughs> I, was like, I was about to make mark this episode explicit, but whatever. Maybe, maybe those little ones listening. Um, okay. So um, and, and another piece here is like, we don't go around talking about dad rage. Like why, like, you know, I, I love the book burnout because they talk about the, the distinction between like two different types of humans, the human beings and the human helpers. And, you know, based on societal expectations and gender discourse, you can imagine who ends up being socialized to be the human helpers and who looks in the mirror and sees a human being, right? We're like, you don't need the distinction that this is dad rage. So I think that I, 
it's, it's a big signal to me that there is data about what's going on around me that I like to be able to pause and then breathe, right? Because breath can help me create that pause and turn down the dial, that stretch response for me. And then put anger back in the back seat. I know it's coming along for the ride and turn to my values as, as we're talking about here. What I so appreciate about our conversation today, Libby, is I feel like we're talking about all the pieces that I talk about a lot in this podcast, maybe in like separate episodes, but how they are connected to each other and then offering like this guide for like how to do the deeper work, like go get burnout and go get fair play. And, you know, if, if you, if you need, you know, individual support therapy, couple support therapy, and, and this is how, this is how we're going to break these cycles and protect our children, our daughters and our sons from, you know, having to take this on. I saw a TikTok recently and it made me cry. It was someone saying how, you know, Gen Z likes to make fun of millennials a lot on TikTok. And then this person was saying, but what I want to say is thank you. Thank you for being the one to stand up and say, no, I don't, I'm going to break this, this cycle of trauma and I'm going to stand in the stand as a protective barrier between my children and what was passed down to me so that then they can go out into the world and do all the beautiful things that they're going to do because we gave them the space to breathe and to do that by all the work that we're doing. And it just like, oof, the like visual of that. Um, and the way that she worded it was, was really beautiful. So I think I'm going to share a link to that too, as well as links for people to find you on TikTok and Instagram, Libby, uh, thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today, the pieces of yourself and really taking the step to really embrace the complexities of, of all of these things and not being afraid to do that. Or maybe you come with fear, but you, you show up anyway. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm so grateful for you for taking the time and for our conversation today. Thanks so much. And can I just give a plug for one more thing? If you're looking for a resource, I just came up with a, um, like a guided journal. It's a printable morning and nighttime, like guided journal exercise to help you with that awareness piece. I have a lot of people say like, you talk about awareness, but what does that mean? Like, how do I do that? Mm. And so I came up with a morning and night one to help people go through this to, I called it the good mom project. So it's to help you look at your day and number one, realize that you are a good mom and to really fight those like shame cycle words that we say to ourselves and really help us to frame our days and how we can set realistic expectations. So that's a free resource that I have on my website if anyone is interested. Um, but thank you so much for having me. This has been a really great conversation. I love that. I love how you take these really big ideas and the complexities of them and you bring it down to also like really tangible steps. I really, really appreciate that because as a busy mom myself with a lot of glass balls, like it's like, okay, I want to do this work, but like, where's it going to fit in? And it's got to get, I got to also get really logistical and tangible. So I love the idea of these, of this journal in the morning and, and afternoon. Beautiful. I'll link to that as well. Libby, thank you so much for coming on. Give Libby a follow. You will not regret it. Um, thank you, listener, for spending this time with us. If this episode resonated with you, the best way to support the podcast is to subscribe, leave a review, give a shout out to this episode with Libby. Thank you so much, Libby. I'll see you, see you on social media. See you on the gram. On the gram. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air. And go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.